0: or from the chains of what other people think or from the emotional cages of guilt and regret, from the prisons of self and sin. You know, and we all have those stories. So you, Whether they're big dramatic stories or, or stories of more quiet, subtle ways we've been set free, we all, we all have them. And they're all amazing stories. And because they're stories about, the, uh, about this change, they're actually stories about the power and the presence of God. The grace of God. It's about how he's at work in our lives in real practical ways to set us free. And we need to tell each other those stories, don't we? We need to hear those stories because they they build our faith and they remind us that God really is at work among us, setting us all free. So this morning as we begin, I asked Brian Bartelt if he would uh, come on up and share with us his story a um, little bit of his story of moving into some freedom. So, Ryan's going to come. You want to hold this right up close to your mouth there. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, good morning. Uh, again, my name is Brian. Uh, some of you even know me as Bart. That's my nickname. Uh, what I'm going to talk about might make a few... Of you uncomfortable. It's not my intention at all. Let me start with a little background first. I, like many others, have lived through some rather large traumatic events going back as far as when I was even roughly four or five years old. About 30 years ago, I suffered from depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. Medication, and along with God's help, it subsided. But I continued with the medication as a preventive maintenance type of thing, just in case he tried to come back. Fast forward a handful of years and I began to suffer from debilitating back pain. Forgive me, but my memory is a little hazy on this on uh, certain dates, but approximately 15, 16, 17 years ago, at least I think anyway, I was sent to a pain management clinic. I believe the first step they had was to get me on medication to control the pain. I was given a lot of pills called Oxycodone or Oxycontin. I was instructed to take several a day to ward off the pain and the pharmaceutical industry invented term breakthrough pain. I left that pain management clinic for what I thought was a better clinic. I received several injections in my spine, which did help at the beginning, but eventually faded with time. The only solution was to increase the quantity and dosage of painkillers. As my body began to tolerate tolerance to the Oxy, my being home mentally decreased. It, I did not have a problem with opiates. Then, along with what I was already taking, I was given fentanyl. But I was still 100% convinced that I was okay. I wasn't one of those people, you know, a drug addict. A drug addict wouldn't still be married or have a job or any of the telltale signs. After all, a true addict wouldn't crush his pills and snort them for a better high. Okay, I did that too, but come on. It's not like all the time. Okay, so I'm extremely good at hiding it from my wife, just how much I use. I'm just keeping her from wasting time worrying about me. I'm fine. The drugs kept coming to the point that the clinic gave me a couple things of Narcan. Narcan is what they give to a person that's overdosing. Why would I need that? I don't have a problem. I always heard about someone having an accidental overdose. That never made sense to me. How do you accidentally take too much? Earlier, I talked about the medication I'm on for anxiety and depression. Turns out that those do not mix with opiates. That is one way to accidentally overdose. Didn't matter anyway, I haven't overdosed, or even worse, died. Then one day, while meeting with a doctor prescribing the anxiety medication, he told me three times I was going to die. God spoke through this man in a way that I would have to hear the message. You're going to die. He was done with me. One more prescription and that would be it. He apparently has had several parent, patients die. He told me so. He said the next time I see him, I better be done with the opiates. The meds he prescribed and the opiates I was taking were going to kill me. At about the same time I saw my so-called Better Clinic on the local news where their doors changed shut. Some kind of scandal about money and you know, Overprescribing something. Uh-oh, now what? I'm sinking. I'm not a drug addict, but I really need those drugs. What to do? Talk about conflicted. I went to my family doctor. I, I really like him. He speaks my language. He gets me, and I understand him. He sent me to a pain management clinic. I trust him, so I reluctantly went. I told them about half of my story and they saw right through it. After all, it's what they do. I had to admit the obvious. I have a problem. Now it's real. I'm one of those people. Please help me. I'm scared and lost. There's a scale of some kind used by pain management clinics to figure out how much a person person is on in terms of milligrams of opiates, and they can only be so high up on the scale. There's a limit. After cutting my prescription in half, I was still over-medicated. They took mercy, mercy on me and helped me wean off of the opiates. After several months of coming down from such a high dosage, I was down to one pill, the equivalent of a single Tylenol, one. It did nothing for me. There was no euphoria, no painkiller, nothing. It was the hardest of the pills to quit. Satan had fooled me, convinced me, robbed me. He robbed me of time spent. Time with the ones I loved the most. He was like a snake that snuck up behind me and bit. I never saw it coming. Still, he wouldn't let me give up that last pill. Then the Lord stepped in, and on July 21st last year said that's your last pill. It's over, thank God. I was naive enough to think once you quit that it's over. It's not, it's just the beginning. The shame and guilt was indescribable. The devil ran around my brain like a freight train with all kinds of thoughts and suggestions about drugs. I received quite a bit of prayer for that. Now I'm learning how to live. It's been difficult to say the least, but I met my wife again. It's been like falling in love all over again. We talk without the TV or any other distractions. Just talk. One thing that changed my life on an epic scale was a docudrama on Hulu called Dope Sit with Michael Keaton. I highly recommend it. Every part of that story was me in some way and helped my wife understand what I was going through and helped me to shine the light of the Lord on the darkness of addiction. For what it's worth, I don't believe addiction is just limited to drugs only. Many things in this world can be a struggle. My story is similar to most, but I know that I am so blessed. God was watching me closely. I didn't die like I should have, I didn't lose my wife, my job, or everything like many do. I've also learned that people suffering from drug abuse probably have suffered some, some kind of childhood drama like I did. It's not a requirement, but it's usually a factor. I also have an entirely different look at, look out, outlook on those kinds of people. I am one, but the Lord is taking me to where I need to be. I realize how critical prayer is. a role in my life. I received prayers even when I didn't know it. I still get prayer for continuous recovery. Saturday morning men's group has also had a huge impact on my life. Those men pray for me and I pray for them. I would like to thank every single one of you that has prayed for me. Thank you. I'm finally home again. Thank you all for listening and praying for me.
0: I for you. Yeah. Yeah. so lord we do just thank you for the work you've been doing in brian and the freedom you're bringing him into and we pray for that continued grace and strength we thank you for the courage you've given him pray that you just fill him up with your holy spirit and just continue him on this journey into all the wholeness that you have for him in jesus name amen amen yeah thank you so much It's amazing, right? Yeah, it's a good story. It's good to hear. Well, last week we started our summer sermon series in which we're going through Paul's letter to the Galatians, and that's, it's a great book. It's packed with all sorts of rich theology, but Paul didn't write Galatians as a theology textbook. He wrote it as a letter to real people who were figuring out how to live, you know, real stories like this one. Uh, They're trying to live as followers of Jesus in the churches of what is now Central Turkey, way back in the first century. And just like the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul uh, to those people in those churches at that time, so he continues to speak through Paul's words to us in this church in this time. So he wants to teach us and shape us and draw us into the freedom that we have because the love of God our Father and the grace of Jesus and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what he's doing. So, let's pray. let see what he has to say. So, Lord, again, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would now speak to each of us where we're at and draw us into more of the freedom you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is Galatians 1, 11 to 14, as we start off here. It says, uh, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age uh, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions Of my fathers. You know, the story of the Apostle Paul's life is a story of change, too. Paul was raised and educated as a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the the leading Jewish teachers of his time. And and Paul was like the the star student, like he said, advancing in Judaism uh, ahead of many his own age. He was a brilliant thinker. He was a devoted worshiper of the God of Abraham. And Paul, or, or really it was Saul, he hadn't changed his name yet then, was also a man with a serious anger problem. When it says he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers, that's not just saying he was really into those traditions. Saul was consumed with rage against the Christians that he saw as a threat to the Jewish way of life. In Acts 9, it tells us that he hunted down the Christians' breathing threats and murder, is how it puts it. That's not being a healthy, God-fearing Jew. That's an issue, right? That's a man filled with pride and arrogance and uncontrolled anger. But when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was changed. Now, I don't think Paul's problem with anger went completely away all at once. In fact, if you read Acts, you'll see occasions when it flares up now and again. Uh, Paul wasn't made instantly perfect, but he was changed. Uh, the direction of his life changed. He, was, he no longer allowed anger to be what shaped his life. So here's my concern for us. In our desire to make sure that you understand that God loves you and accepts you just as you are, and, and he does, right? Is that a good thing? Yeah. And, and our desire to avoid any kind of legalism or performance-based Christianity, our desire to set you free from that burden of shame that so many of us have grown up with, I wonder if perhaps sometimes we maybe have not emphasized enough that God really does call us to change, right? As we often have said in the past, I think God loves us just as we are. He just doesn't want us to stay the way we are, right? God calls us into a life of holiness. Holiness has two aspects to it. Most of the time with holiness, we think about what we need to stop doing. And while that's not popular in our culture today, that is a part of it. God wants us to be set free from the sins that enslave us, from our destructive habits, from all the ways that we get caught up in selfishness and greed and envy and lust and all of the rest. But holiness isn't just about what we don't do. Holiness is a way of living. It is what we do. You know, we get set free from one way of, of thinking, one way of living, from, uh, you know, from our sins and our fears and our bad habits, so that we can be free to live a different way. To be holy is to be full of the life of God. To be holy is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And let that shape every part of our life. That's being holy. Holiness is about who we are and what we do. It's to really love God, love people, period, right? That's holiness. And the reason God calls us into a life of holiness is because he loves us. He wants us to become like Jesus. Because the more we're like Jesus, the more life and joy and peace and love we will have In our own lives. And the more we're like Jesus, the more we can and will partner with Jesus in giving away his love and joy and peace to others. And so the more we're like Jesus, the more heaven breaks into our world now and the more we experience God's abundant life. See, if Paul hadn't been delivered from that rage he might have advanced, probably would have advanced, to a high position in the Jewish world. After all, he was on the fast track for a successful religious career, right, in Judaism. Uh, But that rage would have shriveled his soul and diminished his life nevertheless. And that's the kind of tragedy that God wants to deliver all of us from. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life of holiness. A very important part of the freedom we have in Christ is the freedom to change. In our last Holy Spirit Clinic on spiritual warfare, I talked about how one of the most powerful ways that we do battle against Satan is simply by rejecting his lies choosing to believe what God says instead. Well, one of the lies that we all too often listen to is something like, I can't change. I'm just not able to resist that temptation to fill in the blank, right? Uh, I I don't want to love my neighbor as myself. It's too much work or I'm under too much pressure or too much stress, or that's too legalistic, and it doesn't matter anyways because God forgives me, or I've been too wounded by other people. I can't help it. It's just who I am. But in John 5, after Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, he says to him, go and sin no more. And in John 8, after Jesus saves that woman caught in adultery from being stoned by the Pharisees, and he tells her that he doesn't condemn her either, he says, now go and sin no more. Jesus apparently believed they could change. So Jesus says to us, don't believe the lie that tells you you can't change. I've empowered you with my Holy Spirit and you are free to change. And I think that's exactly what Paul's saying to us in this part of Galatians. Um, Reading the next two verses, starting in verse 15, it says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What I think is interesting as Paul talks about the change he went through is that he doesn't lay out a formula for how to change. We kind of wish he would have, don't we? I mean, just give me the steps. (laughs) Tell me what to do. Give me the rules. Give me a formula. But rather than a formula, Paul tells us his story, just like Brian told us his story. Paul's story is told three times in the book of Acts, and then a fourth time here in Galatians. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to hear his story, don't you? Seems like it. Because every time we hear a story of how God changes someone's life, we realize, oh, God can change my life too. The Holy Spirit can work in my life, just like He worked in Paul's life, just like He worked in Brian's life. I really am free to change. In Paul's story, we discover a critical key as to how that change happens. In verses 13 and 14, It's all about what Paul did. He says, I was persecuting the church. I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous. It's I, 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 right? But starting in verse 15, that shifts dramatically. It says, when God set me apart before I was born, God called me by his grace. God revealed his son to me. It's God, God, God. See, I'm free to change but the change doesn't begin with me. That's a critical thing we need to get. The change doesn't begin with me. The change doesn't come from me. As long as Paul was the center of his own story, he stayed stuck in his anger. But as Eugene Peterson writes, when God revealed himself to Paul as Jesus, it was as if if God said, listen, Paul, you've got it all wrong. You think religion is a matter of knowing things and doing things. It's not. It's a matter of letting God do something for you, letting him love you, letting him bless you, letting him command you. Now, it's not that you have no part to play, but your part is to look and believe, to pray and obey. See, we all have a story just like Paul does. We have all, all, all have ways that we're stuck in that story, too. All of us have different ways that we're stuck, just like Paul was. It might be anger or lust or fear or anxiety or sloth or greed or selfishness or jealousy or self-loathing. that one go out too? No, that one's good. Uh, sin and us. But whatever it is, this is what God says to us. You're free to change, so let Jesus shape your story. See, I never thought of myself as a particularly envious person. Um, but a month or two ago, I was reading through the book of Proverbs. A chapter a day. You know, that can be a dangerous thing to do. Um, because it, Proverbs has a way of getting your attention about what in you is wise and holy and life-giving and what isn't. So if you don't want to know that, don't read Proverbs. Just just avoid it. It's a good idea. Right. So, So during this month, I was reading Proverbs, and my attention was kind of tuned into all of that, and I was thinking about our church one day. And then as I was thinking about our church one day, I started thinking about some other churches and how they were doing. And then I started comparing what was going on in those churches with what was going on in our church. And I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, you know that's envy, don't you? I said, who, me? I'm not envious. I don't have a problem with envy. He said, yeah, that's envy, and you need to repent. So I had to listen to God and repent. Like he said, because I don't want my story to be shaped by envy. I want it to be shaped by Jesus, right? Let Jesus shape your story. You following me? Okay. I find, I find it interesting, really interesting, how after I met, or after Paul met Jesus, he didn't go to the apostles right away. He says he didn't consult with anyone. He headed off into the desert, into Arabia, is what Galatians says. In his commentary on Galatians, N.T. Wright says he believes that where Paul went to in Arabia was Mount Sinai. Paul was reliving the story of Elijah the prophet, if you ever go back and, and read that, who after defeating the prophets of Baal, but finding out that didn't bring revival to Israel like he thought it was going to, he ran the Sinai and hid out in a cave where he waited to either die or hear from God, one or the other. Either God was going to speak to him or he just wanted to die. Well, like Elijah, Paul, after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, his worldview was shattered, right? I mean, this was a traumatic change for him. And Paul needed to, to wrestle with God. He needed to hear from God himself. He needed this relationship with Jesus and his mission to the Gentiles, the Gentiles of all people, for Paul, uh, to be real, to be his, and not to be something that anyone else had put on him. Paul needed to let Jesus shape his story. Jesus said in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? set you free. See, if we want to be people who experience the freedom that Jesus won for us, if we want to be people who let Jesus shape our story, I believe that like Paul, we need to be people who run to hear God speak to us, who open our hearts and open our minds to whatever it is he says to us, even when we don't like what it is he says, right? who hold on to and remain and abide in Jesus' words to us, who trust Jesus with all our heart. So I think this is how we let Jesus shape our story. You read a couple more verses, 18 to 24 here, the end of chapter 1. This is why I use a headset. This is really awkward. Um, (laughs) 18 to 24, says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. Using this. To glorify God is to recognize that he really is good, right? He really is a good and loving and merciful God. And and so it's to praise him. To glorify God is to praise him, to worship him, to be grateful to him, to serve him, and to devote our whole life to serving him. That's how we glorify God. Well, in the early 4th century, a persecution broke out against the Christians of Antioch. Uh, The believers there were attacked. They were driven from their homes. They were martyred. The people of Antioch, the non-Christian people of Antioch, made it their goal to have no Christians left in the city. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to eradicate them from the city of Antioch. But while this persecution was going on, shortly after it started, a severe famine struck the area. I mean, really bad famine. And then on top of that, a plague hit. It was anthrax. Anthrax hit that whole part of the, the world. I mean, it was absolutely horrible for everyone. So Eusebius was a historian who wrote about all of this shortly after it happened. He was alive at the time, so he experienced it firsthand. He wrote down um, what happened. He said, in this awful adversity, the Christians alone gave practical proof of their sympathy in humanity. All day long, some of them tended to the dying and to their burial." countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all, so that their deeds were on everyone's lips. The Christians' deeds were on everyone's lip, and they glorified God because of the Christians. Isn't that cool? All these non-Christians at Antioch glorified God because of the Christians. See, and I realize, as I'm reading this, I hope you realize these Christians were doing this for the people who were trying to kill them, right? For the people who were trying to drive them from their homes. And the pagans glorified God because of it. Wouldn't it be great to have the people of our day glorify God because of us Christians? I don't know that that's been the case lately, most of the time but to have the people of our land here, the people of the world, glorify God because of us Christians. Well, I think Jesus wants to shape our lives. He wants to make us holy like he is. He wants uh, us to be people who love God, love others, period, and, and not love God, love others, period, not just the people who agree with us, who support what we believe. You know, maybe he wants us to love even especially those who don't agree with us, right? Who don't support what we believe. That's not easy. That doesn't come naturally. But I think that's what Jesus wants for me and for you and for this church. And I think that's a big part of what it means to become a people who are holy to the Lord. Amen? The good news is that because of Jesus, because of all that he's done for us, because the Father loves us, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we are free to change. We're free to get set free from whatever it is that keeps us stuck, and we're free to become those people who love God, love others, period. Amen. We're going to move into communion. I have to hang on to this. Um, so I could use four servers if you would want to come up and serve. If